I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today is the CEO of one of the most respected investment firms in the world, T. Rowe Price, a multi-sport Hall of Fame athlete at Johns Hopkins University. Bill set all-time records in football and in baseball before going to Dartmouth for his MBA. He joined T. Rowe Price as an intern, and through persistence, and the ability to mentor and develop people that he attributes to his athletic days, he's been able to build one of the most inclusive and well-respected global organizations in the world. Our guest, Bill Stromberg. Welcome, friends. The gentleman I'm talking with today runs a, a tremendously successful company, and it began from his athletic roots. Talk a little bit about how football, baseball became part of your early days and how they impacted you in, in your days at Johns Hopkins. I grew up playing sports, and I loved all kinds of sports. My dad was a sports nut, loved baseball, loved basketball. In most families, I think that translates, and it translated to me for sure. So when I got to high school, played football and baseball, and studied. And that was about it. Uh, some part-time jobs here and there. Loved it. Loved being on teams. Loved being on winning teams. And it just, it gets into you who you are, and it helps helps define how you want to spend your time. And for me, going to Johns Hopkins was a lot like being in high school. I played football, I played baseball, and I studied really hard and worked a little bit, too. Well, you had great success. I mean, you set all sorts of records in football and in baseball. I mean, you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean. So you're, you've achieved tremendous success in dual sports. I feel very fortunate to have been in situations, part of institutions in high school and in college uh, that allowed me to shine. I felt very comfortable where I was with coaches who cared. And as long as you worked hard and gave it everything you had, they were going to give you lots of opportunities. In my case, it turned out I got to catch a lot of passes. Lots of passes. And in football, you never know what kind of offense or defense is going to be there until you know the coach. And it turns out that a, an interesting coach named Howdy Myers, who became a legendary lacrosse and football coach, uh, was a really fun offensive mind. And he took over the offensive program at Hopkins my freshman year. So I'm walking in as a receiver, and Howdy loved to throw the football and be creative about it. And so it was, it was a tremendous amount of fun. He passed after our sophomore year. Uh, so we had just two years with them, but uh, it was a great experience. And I think that set the tone for the next number of years uh, at Hopkins of uh, being an offensive-minded team that way. What do you play in baseball? What, what position? I was a shortstop. Uh, most, most of my time growing up, I um, played shortstop and then high school and college as well. Uh, I liked it because you could uh, you have a lot of responsibility. You roam around a lot and you could have a big impact. That's also where we put the best athlete. It helps to have uh, the ability to move and to roam when you're in that spot. 
had a really good glove, a little bit less good arm, but uh, I didn't miss a lot of balls coming my way. So how did you pick Dartmouth to, to go to for your uh, MBA? I knew I wanted a business education. Uh, I was married at the time uh, to my wife that I met at Johns Hopkins. And I knew we wanted to stay married, even though this was a big commitment. And I uh, did a lot of work looking at some of the top schools. Loved the spirit of Dartmouth. They really seemed to care about the whole family, not just the student. That attracted me. The team-oriented spirit of a smaller business school uh, like the top school of Dartmouth. T. Rowe Price, how did that happen for you? I would say a long and winding road back to, back to home, really. Uh, I grew up in Baltimore. And T. Rowe Price is a Baltimore-based company. I was looking to get into the investment business. It's the primary reason I went back to get an MBA. I tried from the day I got to business school to start looking for that internship uh, your first year. And I tried everywhere, uh, firms, Fidelity, uh, you name it, MFS, State Street, and many others. T. Rowe Price is the one that put me through some hoops, made me jump through a bunch of hurdles. But they kept in touch and they stayed involved. And I, I jumped through those hurdles, wrote reports, showed them my interest was sincere, and ultimately I got a, uh, I got a summer internship there. How do you think your sports background helped you in that early days in terms of being persistent? I think it is. I think it's central to who I am. I think it helps you to never give up. I think it helps you to stay focused and not let one hurdle or one piece of bad news stop you from trying. I think it made a big difference in helping me to get the job I ultimately wanted. So you're the CEO of one of the most respected companies in the world as it looks to inclusion and leadership and how you treat your employees. So talk about how you rose up through the company and became the CEO. What's that journey like? Well, the journey for me, this is my 35th year at Tiro Price. And what I tried to do every day was what I was taught growing up by my family, by teachers and mentors in high school and college. It's whatever you have in front of you that day. Try to be the very best you can at it and excel at it. At T. Rowe Price, fortunately, it is a very team-oriented place. And it matters not just being smart and delivering good results, but it matters that you help other people too. I think I sit in the CEO seat at T. Rowe Price because I helped a lot of people along the way, not because I'm the smartest uh, person at this shop uh, or that I could uh, solve more problems than other people, but I helped a lot of people. And in our context, that means the world. In terms of areas of expertise, where did you gravitate to? And then how did that expand as your management and leadership roles expanded? I started as a stock analyst and I covered a lot of industrial oriented companies. So I traveled to the Midwest, walked a lot of factory floors, interviewed a lot of management teams, really got a lot out of that. I learned to appreciate what leadership can do to even the most mundane business. Produced some good results and wound up managing uh, a portfolio, which became a mutual fund and grew. And I developed that over time, but it was given a number of different opportunities to mentor younger people while I was doing this. And ultimately, my boss at the time, a fellow named Jim Kennedy, said, look, you're doing a lot of mentoring already. Why don't you just do that full time for us? Step over from managing money to developing and leading people who manage money. And that was a pivot point in my career when I stopped being an investor. I guess you never really stopped being an investor, but it was less my full-time job. And I started recruiting, developing, training, uh, and leading investors. 
what are two or three key things you've learned about mentoring that are common? I mean, everybody's different, but what are the two or three things that you talk about in terms of developing someone? I think you start by understanding where they are and who they are. You listen and try to understand what motivates them, what drives them, uh, what gets them excited. Uh, knowing that starting point helps you to help them to get to the next point, which is what skills do they need that they don't have? Uh, how do you fill in the gaps to help them to move to that next place? And from that point forward, I think it's a point of a push of motivating, pushing to get them to the next step. And then when they struggle, pushing or pulling them along, if you will, to, to let them know that they can still get there and everybody makes mistakes along the way. So a lot of push and pull. So many of our listeners are sports people and they really don't understand investment. And you know, part of what your company does is help individuals and, and, and organizations invest. So do you have a couple of bullet points or suggestions for the novice as they're thinking about uh, the economy and the fact they may have some, some extra money and what to do and how to think about it and how a firm like yours and or, would be a reason to reach out to someone rather than trying to do it yourself? Sure. If, if you know you want to save and you know you want to invest for the future, save for an education, uh, save for retirement, all sorts of reasons to save, but you don't want to spend your life doing it, then I think you can find a, lo- a number of good trusted companies who do it very, very well. And I would encourage you to start early and young, be persistent in how much you set aside, and do it for the long term. Don't try and guess everybody else who's doing it. Leave that money and continue to invest with a firm that you trust and diversify. Those are the key things I think that'll get you to a good long-term place. Cryptocurrency. And that people are talking about Bitcoin and those things. What's your sense of where that is and what's happening with it? Well, cryptocurrency uses a technology called blockchain. It's a technology that allows transactions to be verified and secured uh, without really anybody other than the parties involved knowing who who they are. Currencies develop around this because of its security uh, and because of its anonymity. There's a demand in the world for payment systems, for transactions to be recorded uh, by independent entities who don't want anyone else to know who they are. Uh, yet are very, very secure. And all of these cryptocurrencies have developed uh, with this in mind. They're not based on any kind of a cash flow. They're not based on the value of an asset like gold or anything like that. And that is what the world's looking for. Whether Bitcoin is the right one or not, or whether some other version has to come into play to be an accepted form of payment remains to be seen. But I think the underlying technology of blockchain is going to lead to different payment systems using cryptocurrencies over time. When you think about the future inv- individuals investing or corporations investing, what do their trends look to be? Investing continues to change uh, in, in the world. Uh, just buying stocks and bonds are less and less interesting to different generations of investors. Uh, we saw examples of that over the last six months with uh, COVID being in place. A lot of people investing on their own from home. A lot of millennials doing that. And I think a lot of people want to do good with their money. They want to invest and help the world. Environmental and social and governance considerations have come into play. Uh, Investing in things that will make the world cleaner or make the world a better place to be, if you will. 
I think things like that are going to continue to develop and be there for future generations of investors. When you think about your organization developing the next wave of leaders, how do you go about doing that? You talked about mentoring and so forth, but in terms of setting up a succession plan, organizational structure, some of that may be confidential or only known to the board, but in terms of when you think about the plan of going ahead and, and succession, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's really important. Uh, talent is so important in the investing business. And talent development over the long term is a rhythm and it's got to be purposeful. Uh, and we at Zero Price spend a lot of time on it. So the key is obviously, like everyone else, you want to get as many talented, good people in your mix as you can. Challenge them with assignments regularly. Give them more than they can do at times to see how far they can advance. See how much they like things. See how much they like to be pushed. See if they want to be a leader and if they get real satisfaction from helping other people uh, be successful. And I think one thing Tiro Price is good at is challenging people in that way. Diversity and inclusion. How have you incorporated that into this into your succession? It's a central part of who we are. It's part of the values of the company, our stated values of the company. Uh, like many companies, we have been on a DEI journey, if you will. And I think we've learned more and more as time has gone on. Uh, what I, some lessons I have learned along the way is to be very purposeful about it, to be very open and transparent about it. And if you are that, and if you do have a good set of values, I think you can attract, retain, and develop and promote all kinds of individuals, men, women, people of color, um, and people of all kinds of expertise and backgrounds. So it's a central part of what we're doing. It's a central part uh, more and more frequently for what I hear at most companies. So when you think about the two major events that hit us last year, COVID and then on Memorial Day, the death of George Floyd, how did they impact your business and how you went about your leadership? COVID surely is a once-in-a-generation kind of event. The last uh, pandemic, I guess, the United States saw it was in 1918. Moving everyone to work from home within a week's period was a challenge. Fortunately, uh, we, like many companies, had prepared for it. And I think that that movement into the home and working from home uh, was handled very successfully. Very team-oriented place like T-Row. Everybody rose to the occasion and wanted to make it happen. And I think just on adrenaline alone, carried us for those first few months. Time goes on though. And as you were now into the second year, working from home or some hybrid relationship, I think I, like other leaders, had to work hard to stay in touch, be transparent, communicate with our teams, make sure everybody understood things that were going well, things that were going less well, and how we can continue to deliver for our clients during this period. And for us, it's gone very well. For the country, obviously, it disrupted the economy and it disrupted the markets, but only for a short time. Uniquely, and I would say powerfully, the government and the Treasury stepped in to provide all sorts of stimulus and payments to bridge the gap for most consumers so that we could get through this period. Uh, it looks like now we're at the other end of it and we're starting to come out. And I think the country's going to come out very strong. Excellent. As leaders, I think this is a great challenge, though, about how to stay in touch, how to motivate, how to communicate, and make sure that you are always in touch with your associates and with your clients. Now, we uh, mentioned the, the George Floyd death in terms of the social impact and the racial 
aspects as it related to your organization? I wrote about this in our annual report, in my letter in our annual report. I think it was just as big a challenge uh, and just as big an opportunity as COVID was for us in many, many respects. In our case, it, in many ways, it's brought us together as a company. We had uh, open, transparent, I would say hard discussions uh, about race and about race's uh, impact on society and the injustices uh, that have been in place for a long time. I think a lot of us have learned a lot uh, and become much better, more aware of how racism affects uh, decision-making around the world and how bias creeps into decisions. We've used those discussions to accelerate our diversity, equity, and inclusion plans in a variety of different ways. We've worked with our board of directors who pushed us to do this and help, are holding us accountable for doing this. And I would say right now on the other side of this, that there's a really strong feeling of teamwork about it across the company. And it's interesting to watch the women's group look out for other groups at the firm, showing the solidarity, if you will, that came from a George Floyd catalyst, if you will. When you think about going forward, CEOs, best practices, and so forth, what were some of the initial challenges you faced moving into the role? And what are the, some of the things that you would advise, for instance, to put a group together between D.C. and uh, Baltimore with a variety of CEOs? So what are the common themes of those, those meetings? Transitioning into the CEO role, let's start with that, I, I think is a, is a unique transition. Everybody develops within some aspect of, of the job and is strong in various pieces of it. I liken it to being a triathlete. You know, some people become triathletes by starting as a, a runner, some start as a biker, some start as a swimmer. But you still have to learn the other two that you didn't start with. And as CEO, we all start with different strengths and weaknesses, but you have to learn all the other pieces of the business. And you have to be a good steward of that, and you have to develop people and leaders who can lead all parts of the business. And that means you have to want to learn. You have to want to give of yourself and commit of yourself to, to, to do that learning and to be present for the whole company. The Greater Washington Partnership, I think you referred to as a group of CEOs, and this is a group formed by a number of CEOs between Richmond and Baltimore to develop the economy and commerce within that region. Regional economies have become very, very powerful in different parts of our country. And we wanted to make sure as a group that we work together to develop uh, with leadership and governments to develop policies that promote business, that promote ease of travel, and make it easier to develop a workforce that will make us world-class in this region. And the group is only about four to four years old now, and it's been led uh, very capably by a handful of people, and they've done a terrific job. All the third-party referencing and comments I've heard about you is nothing but you know, class, professional, sophisticated, and empathetic in terms of how you lead and how you treat people. So the background that you started with in sports and with your parents and the coaches you had been a major impact that appears on the success you've achieved. Well, I appreciate you saying it. We all try to be as good a person as we can be uh, while we try and be as good a professional as we can be in whatever field we all choose. I do want to emphasize to everybody, because I know you have a wide listening list, that our lives are made up of a series of impacts we have with people. 
and the ability to impact people is one of the joys of leadership. And you can help a lot of people have a better life from this position. I feel really fortunate to be in this spot. That's one reason why I work so hard at it. Well, I thank you for joining our listeners today. Uh, I appreciate you taking time. I know you have a hectic schedule and you were able to uh, make time for us. So thank you. Ted, it's a pleasure. Thank you.